0: Glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devon Neal. Luke chapter one. We're just going to read verses 39 through 45. So beginning in verse 39, it says, "And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah." And entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, You, I believe, if not everyone, just about everyone in this room would be familiar with the context. We looked at part of this scripture this morning. The context of this, this brief piece of scripture where Elizabeth... Uh, is about to have John the Baptist. Mary has just found out, so this is Elizabeth, according to the Bible, Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy. She hid herself for five months. And then in the sixth month of her pregnancy, Mary found out that she would deliver the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not by accident that God led Mary to visit Elizabeth. Uh, Everyone else at that time certainly must have stood in doubt of Mary and what was going on. But God communicated by the Spirit of God to Elizabeth through John the Baptist in her womb what was going on with Mary. And you'll find what Elizabeth said was key in the life of Mary at that moment. God had just told her with God nothing shall be impossible. She shows up at her cousin's house and the first thing her cousin says, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. To my knowledge, Mary didn't tell Elizabeth she was expecting. God told her that. Very confirming what Elizabeth said. I, I believe this: what we say either encourages people in their trust in God or discourages people in their trust in God. Uh, the Bible says in the book of James that many uh, we 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 are many that offend with our speech, meaning we our tongue and the way we use it ends up being a hindrance to someone else believing and trusting God. And so this matter of our tongue is very important, and what we see here tonight in Elizabeth, there's some things, I believe, out of what she says that can be applied. I don't intend to say you should always be going around saying the exact same things that she said, or even always that it's going to be this exciting exaltation. but there are some things that are found in her speech in this moment that I think are instructive to us as we compare them with other portions of Scripture. And so I'll give you three things out of these few verses tonight. In regard to Elizabeth's speech, I've entitled the message "Spirit-Filled Speech." Many people, as you very well know, would teach that if you're filled with, filled with the Spirit and you're speaking, no one can understand what you're saying but you and God. Uh, that, in, in fact, is and was was a possibility. God gave the gift of tongues specifically as a sign to the Jewish people. Uh, you can see that. How many of you? How many of you think that tongues is all throughout the Book of Acts? That it was a prevailing. Gift of the Spirit in the book of Acts. If you study the book of Acts, tongues is only mentioned three times to my knowledge. Three times. It's Acts 2 uh, for sure. I believe then it's Acts 10 with Cornelius. And then again with an Acts, I believe, 19 where six men are baptized, receive the Holy Spirit of God and speak in tongues. Each and every time when they speak in tongues, it was signifying that they had received the Spirit of God just like the Jewish people had. It was to signify that the gospel has broken down the barrier between Jew and Greek and that the evidence of the, of the indwelling Holy Spirit uh, was that they were enabled they were to speak in a, a tongue, which is a language which they had not previously learned or known. Paul, and we'll get into this, Paul gets very clear that in 1 Corinthians 14 there are some rules to govern that. So I say all that to say... Uh, There's a number of instances in the Bible where someone's filled with the Holy Ghost and as such they speak. And you'll never find that when they got done speaking, no one knew what they had to say. But boy, it was amazing the gibberish they spoke in. Now, when the Spirit of God is in control, the last aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance. When the Spirit of God is, is in control of our lives, we don't lose control of ourselves. We operate under his leadership and rule. And so then when, and I say all that just by way of introduction, for the crowd, and by the way, we don't ever need to shy away from teaching about the Holy Spirit of God, be very careful how we speak about the Holy Spirit of God, because uh, we're warned about that, we're warned of the seriousness of the sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost, I personally don't believe you can do that if you're saved, but for those who are unsaved, to blaspheme the Holy Ghost is an unforgivable sin. So we'd be very careful how we handle the doctrine of the Holy Spirit of God, how we speak about Him and so forth. But for those teaching today that when the Spirit of God takes over, you lose control of yourself. Maybe you're going into a laughing fit or rolling on the floor or saying some kind of gibberish that, uh, that is some language of angels. And I'm not mocking anybody. That's not what we find in the Bible. Uh, when, when the Holy Spirit of God is in control, uh, then temperance is in the life and our speech is going to be directed according to His will and in in compliance with his words. So, as I said, let me give you three simple things tonight about Elizabeth and her speech in this text. So if we go back uh, to uh, the verses where we began reading, verse uh, 41, says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now let me say this, prior to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 2, on that group of believers, someone being filled with the Holy Ghost was very unique. Uh, the, the Old Testament saint was not indwelt by the Holy Spirit as we are. There was that, 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 that matter of dealing with our sins in finality had to be dealt with. Prior to that, God's presence or His Spirit could be experienced in a temple or in a tabernacle, and at certain times, the Spirit of God would move upon somebody... But to be filled with the Holy Spirit was not common. It was not something that was common, and you can read your Old Testament and find that. But once the Holy Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost, we not only can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 5 says we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Spirit filling, I'm afraid, has become much like godliness. Many associate being filled with the Spirit with heroes of the faith like uh, Hudson Taylor or Adoniram Judson or George Mueller. Some, un- they didn't think themselves to be untouchable, but what happens is we are prone to exalt men in a way that allows us to be free from the responsibility we have to live our lives according to their example. Godly men are put in front of us not to worship but to follow. I'm going to say that again. Godly men are placed around us not to worship but to follow, we as humans are horrible about wanting to worship other men. God doesn't want that. And by the way, we as men, whoever we may be, if a preacher, a teacher are responsible to make sure that that is not allowed ever to happen. There were some people who tried to worship Paul, and he said, don't worship me. There were some people who tried to worship Peter, and he said, don't you do that. Uh, there's an angel uh, in the book of Revelation, and John tried to worship him, and he said, no, don't. <laughs> worship God. But we are prone as humans to want to admire somebody. I believe this many times to the point where we can do what I just said, where we think of being filled with the Spirit as there are an elite group of saints who are filled with the Spirit, and they are the elites, and we all we can do is admire them. Not so. They are given to us to follow their example. So as we look at Elizabeth, she's filled with the Holy Spirit of God as we are commanded to be, you'll find that entire household was filled with the Spirit. Zacharias was, Elizabeth was, and John the Baptist from the womb was. And so then uh, we find in her, and I point out her Spirit filling to say this, for outline's sake we will consider the fountain, and I use that word on purpose, the fountain of her speech. All of us, our speech proceeds from whatever we're filled with. That's what Jesus said. Look at Luke chapter 6, if you would. So as we look at this message tonight, the first thing you can see is that Elizabeth had a fountain inside of her. There, there, was, there was her heart was full of something and it came out of her mouth. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. I'll say this. We have rules in our home about what kind of speech is allowed and what kind of speech is not. Some speech will, will bring a reprimand. Uh, Some speech, a rebuke, if you would, some will bring discipline, some kind of of discipline, biblical discipline, uh, because there are rules. But may I say all those rules will not make my children grow up and talk right. It might develop good habits in their life. They might learn to say thank you and please and not to say that word, not to say that word. But if my children with all those rules in our home, and it's my job to have those rules, I don't apologize for them. We We want the right atmosphere in our home. I want to set the right example. I want it to be a good testimony for the Lord. But if the heart is filled with bitterness or the heart is filled with lust or the heart is filled with envy, all those rules are not going to stymie what's going to come out of that mouth. Eventually, what is inside comes outside. And what we find in Elizabeth is there are some things that she said that had a tremendous effect on Mary and has a tremendous effect on us tonight by way of instruction and help and glorifying the Word of God, but it came from her heart because she was what? Filled with the Holy Ghost. Luke chapter 6, the Bible says this. Um, If you back up just a little bit, Luke chapter 6, verse 43. For a good tree... "...bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And then the evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil." For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. This same principle is seen again in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, which are verses quoted concerning salvation, as they should be. But it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Throughout the Bible, we find this principle, this truth, that what comes out of the mouth is a revelation of what is in the heart. That out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so we find this with Elizabeth. Before it ever tells us anything that she says, it prefaces it with that she was filled with the Holy Ghost. Find me anyone in the Bible filled with the Holy Ghost, using God's name in vain, uh, speaking of unclean things, making jest about foolish things. No, when they're filled with the Holy Ghost the effect of their words is to, to glorify God, to help the other person the hearer, and it has that effect. So the fountain of her speech, she is under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And there's two things you have to notice here. To be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, number one, he has to be present. You cannot be filled with something that is not in you. <laughs> and you and I both know he can be present, but not have the place he's supposed to. Now I believe, again, and I believe this very much so, that we complicate the concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I've read different books on it, different articles on it. Some men do a very good job of explaining. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, this is the biblical template for being filled. I read uh, uh, and listened, both read and listened to a message by A.W. Tozer on spirit filling, one of the most practical, helpful messages I've ever heard on being filled with the Spirit because he, you know what he does? He takes about five verses and says, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, God says you have to do this. He gives His Spirit to them that obey Him. That's what Jesus said. He gives His Spirit to them that obey Him. He gives the Spirit to them that ask. That's right there. I believe in Luke chapter 18, Matthew chapter 10, I believe it is that He says if you ask, He'll give His Spirit. Right? And there's a number of principles that God says are, are conditioned. Not, not, we're not talking about to get saved, but you have the Spirit present. Once you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, He gives you His Holy Spirit to dwell you so he must be present, but his presence doesn't mean you're filled. If he's going to fill you, he must be given the proper place. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 30, I believe it is. I believe it's 430. And quench not the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. First Thessalonians chapter five says, Quench not the Spirit. Meaning, if you and I resist him, if we do not cooperate with him, we limit his place in our lives. So what does this have to do with our speech? Everything. Everything. We can memorize every verse in the Bible about the kind of speech that's not supposed to come out of our mouth. But unless that's there because we want to please the Lord, unless that's there because we want to have speech that is honoring to Him and He's not given the place He's supposed to have, if we're harboring something in our heart that's not pleasing to the Lord, then we're not going to be able to speak the proper way. And that's a, that's a principle that's true for all of us. Somebody will say something like this. They use some foul language. And they say, oh, man, I hate that. Pardon my French. I let one slip. Yeah, you let it slip. It was in your heart, and so it came out your mouth. It wasn't as though, oh, no, I had this little thing, you know, this uh, extraordinary event. You've got something in your heart. Men that... Let dirty jokes slip. Men that let foul words slip. It's because there's corruption right here. You don't talk about things you don't sit and think about. Huh? You and I don't say things. When when men curse God, there's something wrong there. They're either angry at God, angry at men, or trying to fit in with the crowd around them. But the fact is, what comes out of our mouth, proceeds from our hearts, and says, you know what, I want to give the gospel. I don't know if anything better recommend than just always be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God as He speaks to you through the Bible, through the preaching. Never tell Him no. Let Him have any place in your heart and life He wants. Don't withhold any corner of your heart or mind from Him searching you, speaking to you, directing you, and I guarantee you the gospel will come from your mouth because the Spirit of God is constantly speaking of Jesus Christ. He's going to remind you of every facet of your life that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is related to because there's not a por- portion of our life that Christ doesn't touch. And so the, the fact of the matter is, is the reason we have our attention on Elizabeth tonight and how she spoke is because she's under the right kind of influence. 1 Corinthians 15, we say often, but the Bible says, Be not deceived, evil communications Corrupt good manners. And then he goes on to say, I believe it's verse 34, he said that there are some that have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Meaning there are some speech that should have been coming from those Christians in Corinth. There are some things that should have been said to those around them about God, but it wasn't because they were under the wrong influences. Make no mistake, I believe... In, in this generation, there is an influence on every corner. It is so easy to be influenced. And you and I are responsible to guard who and what is influencing our heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I was this week uh, looking. was a fellow pastor of a Baptist church, and he had put out some information about uh, COVID or something and I opened the little article that he shared, and I wasn't a paragraph in, and one of the most vile, filthy words known to man was in that paragraph. At that point, I closed that down, and I said, I'll not read anything else that man has to say. I don't want that in front of my eyes. Now, I don't believe that man got up and said, and it wasn't his words. He was quoting someone else. He He was passing on an article. But here's an article that's using vile language. We have people today in the name of Christianity cursing our president with a euphemism that ought not not even in the mind of a Christian and defending it as patriotic and Christian. Nonsense. See, how do we get there? Influence. If you sit and take in eight hours of our news media and can carry on without cursing, you're going to be accomplishing something great. You cannot sit under that poisonous influence and think it's not going to affect your heart and then your mouth. In contrast, you take the time to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus, soak in the Bible, memorize it, quote it as you face temptation, answer it with God's Word. And if you don't know God's Word, dig in there and find it and saturate. That's what I want to use. Saturate your heart and mind with Bible and it'll change the way you speak. That's what she did. Elizabeth was saturated with the Word of God, saturated with the Holy Spirit of God. That's what it means to be filled. Let me ask you something. If you fill a man with alcohol, is it going to change the way he talks? Oh, you better believe it. It's going to change how he talks. It's going to. Are you going to be able to understand him better or worse? Not, you may not be able to understand him. It. it may be gibberish, nonsense. There are those that say, you need to get drunk in the spirit. You will not find that in your Bible. So pastors what Ephesians 5.18 says, no, it isn't. It says, and be not drunk. With wine, meaning don't put that substance in your body that takes over and influences you and causes you to lose control. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Excess means loss of control, loss of restraint, right? And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but in contrast, be filled with the Spirit Just like wine will influence your walk and influence your talk and influence your conduct by making you lose control, when you and I are filled with the Spirit of God, saturated with the Word of God, filled with the mind of God, it will control every aspect of our life, but not to loss of control, but to temperance. That's how we find Elizabeth. Someone says, I have a real problem. I have a real problem with this speech. I say things I shouldn't say. What's the answer? Focus and concentrate on giving the Spirit of God the place He has to have in your heart because in that area of life, He's not in control. You you trace back. If it's backbiting, if it is slander, if it is hateful speech, whatever it is, you trace that back. That's a heart issue. Somewhere there's an influence on the heart that is directing my tongue and you say, I don't know what it is. Then get on your knees and ask the Lord. Lord, you know I got some speech that's not right. Would you show me what it is in my heart? that is producing that speech. I've watched sometimes, and the Spirit of God, I'm certain, brings it to my attention, how I'll answer someone. Well, my goodness, where did that come from? Some level of frustration, or irritation, or anger in my speech. And that's what I find out. If it's in my speech, it's in my heart. And he can trace it right back, and say this is where you're getting out of kilter, right here. My point is this, Elizabeth gives us an example tonight, of the kind of speech we ought to have because she was under the right influence. The fountain of her speech was the Spirit of God. She was under His rule, His control, and His influence. You and I cannot be filled with the Spirit if every time, I'll say this and move on, He speaks to us about something in our life and we explain away the conclusions He wants us to come to. The Spirit of God does not merely fill us with the knowledge of God's Word He instructs us in wisdom, meaning he takes what the Bible says, applies it to our life in a very practical way so that if we're going to believe what this says, it's going to determine how we live. And if what he says never affects what we do, we're not going to be filled. There's no way. And so then Elizabeth, on the other hand, was a person that had yielded her. You can read about her character as we did this morning. She's a woman walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, meaning there was no part of her life that she was saying no to God. None. I I want to reiterate this now. It's not what the whole message is about. But there's no way to produce the right kind of speech if I've got some facet of my life where I'm telling the Spirit of God, no. If I could give any counsel, when the Word of God is applied to your life, directing a decision, please don't ever say no to God. That's called quenching. That's called grieving. That saying no to God will affect your life. It'll affect your family. It'll affect your church. It'll affect your community. Say, how? Your light gets put under a bushel. you something. If we started turning turn lights out in here, would it affect all of us? When you and I quench the Spirit of God, you know what we're doing? We're, we're, we're putting down His light. But when He directs, as with Elizabeth, she walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless, meaning there was no part of her life the Lord was not allowed to rule, control, and direct. Therefore, she was filled with the Spirit. And the fountain of her speech flowed from that relationship with God. The the filling of the Spirit speaks of fellowship with the Lord without restraint or grievance of Him. All right, so the the fountain of her speech was the filling of the Spirit. Number two, we can look and see the framework of her speech. Let's consider what she actually said. So we know she's filled with the Holy Spirit of God, but if we're back there in Luke chapter 1... We can look at how she used her speech. Here comes Mary. She is under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Mary walks in. John the Baptist leaps in her womb. She is recognizing of some things that the Spirit of God is communicating to her heart and mind, and so she is going to speak the truth to Mary. Uh, we've been dealing with speaking the truth. Well, she's going to pipe up and speak the truth to Mary. It says in verse 41, it came to pass that when "'Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, "'and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost,' verse 42. "'And she spake out with a loud voice, and said, "'Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. "'And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? "'For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears,' The babe leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And then Mary would begin to speak after that. First thing I want you to consider about Elizabeth's speech is that she spoke with clarity. When it says she spoke with a loud voice, I don't think it simply means she starts, Blessed is the fruit of thy. <laughs> she spoke where she could be heard. You know what? When we're going to speak the truth, we need to speak it where it can be heard. How many times do we speak the truth in a whisper because we're afraid somebody might hear it? Eh? Now, I understand it's just Elizabeth and Mary, and I don't want to make an application here that's not here, but I do know this. When we're filled with the Spirit, our speech is not confusing, it's clear. When we're ambiguous with our speech, when we're unconclusive, we're not really speaking the way God wants us to be. The Bible says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We read this morning in Titus that Titus was to speak and rebuke and exhort with all authority. That has the idea with clarity, without apology. Uh, So she spake with a loud voice, and then when you read what she speaks, it was abundantly clear what she's saying. She calls the little one in Mary's womb small enough at this point, I don't think Mary had any physical evidence to look at for you to know she was expecting. She just found out. And the fact of the matter is that uh, Elizabeth is speaking under the direction of God, and what she said did nothing but clarify and confirm what Mary already knew to be true. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But when we're speaking the truth and we're under the filling of the Holy Spirit, we do not create darkness, we communicate light. Does that make sense? If I stood up here and preached to you tonight and said, well, we are so glad that we have the Word of God, at least we have a proximity of it. We're grateful tonight that God gave us His Word, we believe... in in the doctrine of inspiration. And so long ago, God told men what to write and they wrote it down. And for the most part, we have that today. So much as it's properly translated, you can trust your Bible. That was clear, wasn't it? You know, my next question would be, well, which part of it can I not trust? Well, I can help you with that. Probably, uh, maybe, hopefully, we can understand which ones are... Well, you just you need to study the original languages, and then you can dig back and hopefully find out what God really said. Now, it's rare today to have a preacher that speaks that plainly because it's all ambiguous, but that's what you're left with. Can I actually read that book and just trust what it says and obey it? Or do I have to dig back there and say, well, that's what it says in the King James, but if you compare it to the ESV and the RSV and the ASV and the NTSB and... The list goes on. They don't all say exactly the same thing. And so what you have to do is study that and pray and hope that God shows you which one of those. Because how many of us understand that multiple translations do not all say the same thing? They don't. This is rocket science. Things that are different are not the same. And what happens is when we get departed from just listening to what God says, there's ambiguity. There's, there's a lack of clarity. Not with Elizabeth. When she spoke... The Bible says she spoke with a loud voice so that she could be heard and understood. And then she spoke. I mean, that's the idea of a loud voice. And she spoke. It was with clarity. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I've never heard the term the devil's in the details. I believe when it comes to this Bible translation issue, there's a lot of truth. Though that verse is not in the Bible, that statement's not in the Bible, you will find that the devil loves to focus on details to get you to get your focus off of the truth. I mean, just us understand this tonight, that God is not trying to confuse us or hide his word from us. That's not, what he's, that's not what he's done. And so then, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this is in context of speaking in tongues, but there's a principle here. Now, Paul says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says um, in verse... Let's, let's back up just a little bit. I was going to start reading in verse 26, but I want to start back in uh, verse 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign not to them that believe. Now, don't miss that. Tongues are for a sign, meaning uh, it it signifies something, but not for them that believe. There are many that teach that tongues are for a sign to them that believe so you can know for sure you got saved. You know you have the Holy Spirit when you can speak in tongues. Well, wait a minute. It says here it's not a sign to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Prophesying is preaching, proclaiming God's word, either forthtelling or foretelling. Verse 23 If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all. Now, Paul would not fit today's church. He is judged of all. <gasps> Paul is advocating, judging, oh my, my, verse 25. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face he will worship God and report that God is in you of the truth. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. By course, means one at a time, not all at the same time. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything, be revealed to another that sitteth by. Let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. goes on to say uh, in verse 30, uh, 36, 37, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. We find this when we read our Bible. It is conclusive. It is decisive. God communicates. Even when he communicates, we may read something and say, well, I understand exactly what God's saying. I don't understand all that it means. I want to say this, when when Elizabeth spoke, the framework of her speech was that what she said was clear. That tells me a number of things. Again, it's not creating confusion, but it's just speaking the truth. She is speaking what she knows to be true uh, from the Lord. So there's clarity in her speech. Number two, we find consistency in her speech. What do you, you say, what do you mean? Everything Elizabeth said was consistent with everything God had already said. She didn't say something new that was in conflict with what God had said. God had told Mary, you're going to conceive and have a child, and He shall be. he's come to save his people from their sins. He had communicated clearly that the one in Mary's womb was the Christ. There was no conflict between what God told Mary, what God told Joseph, and what God told Elizabeth. We act today, many today, including preachers, act like, well, there's really a lot of confusion about what the Bible means. There are some places God's not clear on what he means. But there are places he's very, very, very clear. And when someone says, well, God gave me a revelation. I know the Bible says, but about that time in your heart and mind, you go ding, 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 ding." bells, whistles, red flags flying everywhere. I know the Bible says, but God gave me a revelation. If God gave you a revelation, it will not contradict anything he's already said. It'll always be consistent with everything he's already said. And so when Elizabeth spoke, did she say anything Mary didn't know? When she said, what is this that my, the, the mother of my Lord should come? to Mary go, I didn't know the one in my womb was the Lord. No, she knew that. There was no contradiction, no conflict. How many just you know that the, no prophecies of the scriptures of any private interpretation? I get asked about this often because you go to doors and try to talk to people, and they say, well, you know, the Bible has many an interpretations. And I always say, "Nope, it doesn't, actually. There's only one. They say, oh, no, I mean, all kinds of people. Well, all kinds of people may put their interpretation on it, but God says there's only one. Well, how do you know which one? You know, he is alive to interpret his own book. You know what I believe is a key for, for why many times you're getting mixed messages from pulpits and from teachers I think it goes back to the fountain of speech. Often the speech is not flowing from the Word of God and the influence of the Spirit of God is flowing from one's own intellect, one's own reasoning. And when you know what? If you reason something out and I reason something out, we're very likely to come to different conclusions. But if God tells us the truth, we're both going to say the same thing. And the fact of the matter is that what what Elizabeth spake, the framework of her speech, it was given with clarity. She spoke with a loud voice and was very concise in what she said. What she said was spoken with consistency. I'll read again 1 Corinthians 14:37. Paul says basically the same thing here. And then he says, if any among you think himself to be a prophet, uh fourteen thirty seven, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, here's what he have to do. Let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Meaning he's got to first acknowledge that what I'm saying comes directly from the Lord. And what he has to say has got to be consistent with what the Lord's already told me to tell you. Well, that was kind of arrogant. No, the apostle was given authority to do that. I don't have authority to do that, but God gave him the authority to do that, Pin down scripture, and now here's what I would say. Somebody comes along and says, well, God speaks to me all the time. God communicates to me. Uh, I have certain you know, things revealed to me from God. And I say, well, do you acknowledge that the words of the Bible are the commandments of the Lord? And they say, well, some, but you know, some of that's there for men, and I don't have a lot of confidence in that. I'd say, I don't have anything to hear from you. Huh? when God is speaking and we're speaking, what we say will not contradict anything God has already said. So the clarity of her speech, consistency in her speech. But you know, in all of that, there was contrition in her speech, meaning a, a humility. Being filled with the Spirit does not raise us up with pride. It humbles us that God would allow us to be a part of what He's doing. Look at one, uh, Luke one forty three. She says, And whence is this to me? Well, Why do I get this privilege that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary, you've showed up. You're bearing the Lord in your womb. And why did I get the privilege? You know what? When the Spirit of God is in control, it does not produce arrogance. It produces meekness. Meekness has to do with a proper view of oneself in light of the truth. And so then, here's Elizabeth speaking with a loud voice clearly consistent with the truth that God had already delivered, but with a contrite spirit, she's humble. Number three, we've seen the fountain of her speech, the Holy Spirit of God and her filling. The framework of her speech, her her words were clear, consistent with the revealed word of God already given and given in contrition, a humble spirit. Number three, the fruit of her speech. Number one, her speech exalted the Savior and his word. That's what contrition does. Again, if you read through what she has to say, she is consistently throughout her, her speaking exalting who the Lord is. She is amazed that the mother of the Lord would come into her home. She says in verse 42, She spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. and why is that? For there shall be a performance of those things which are told her from the Lord. You know, I think Elizabeth believed in the doctrine of the Trinity all the way back here. She's filled with the Spirit, calling the baby in the womb, my Lord, and then saying the same Lord had promised to Mary that she would have this child. Meaning the little one inside of her was the same one that gave her the promise that he would be inside of her? Yep. See what I'm trying to say tonight is this. When you and I are under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, nothing we say will degrade from the character of God. Our words will only be a testament to the fact that Jesus Christ is exactly who He says He is. When you and I have speech that's honoring to Him, you may not have to be saying, the Lord, my Lord, the Lord, my Lord, but the effect of speech that's under the Spirit's control is to verify that the Lord Jesus Christ truly is... exactly who he claims to be. That was the effect of Elizabeth's speech, that the promises of God uh, were true. So Elizabeth's speech exalts the Savior and exalts his word. Blessed is she that believed because there will be a performance, what we looked at this morning, of what God has told you he'll do. So the fruit of her speech exalted the Savior and his word. Number two, she exhorted and encouraged a fellow saint. Here is Mary who's just been told with God nothing shall be impossible. And the first thing she hears when she steps into Elizabeth's home is God is going to do what he promised to do with you. You know what? If you and I aren't careful and we don't mind the Holy Spirit of God, our words end up confusing our fellow brethren, discouraging our fellow saints, Causing them to doubt whether or not what God told them to do, He'll do. Somebody gets excited and say, Boy, the Lord really spoke to me today in the church service. The preaching stirred my heart, gave me some direction for my life, and somebody says, Ah, eh, you know. I remember when I used to get excited like that. I remember when I would go to church and you'll get over it. Some seasoned saint all of a sudden becomes a wet rag on somebody else's life, not here. Elizabeth is the seasoned saint, and when Mary shows up, she says, Mary, you know this, God's going to do what He promised to do in your life. She encouraged Mary in doing what God had called her to do. She encouraged Mary in trusting and believing God's Word and expecting God to do what He said He would do. We should never be a source of discouragement from somebody else trusting the Word of God. And if we are, shame on us. The Spirit-filled person will never cause another person to doubt the the faithfulness of God's Word. That's why I have major problems with men who claim to be preachers today using their Bible in such a way to leave you wondering whether or not you can trust every word of it. Something is wrong with that man who causes you to doubt the Word of God. If he's filled with the Spirit, and if I'm filled with the Spirit, you'll leave here saying, Praise God, I can trust my Bible. That's the Word of God, isn't it? Listen here. Either this is the Word of God or it's not. And if it's not, don't play the game and pretend it is. But if it is, trust every word. And I believe this tonight. When Elizabeth got done speaking, Mary didn't go, I thought God was going to use me to bring the Messiah. Maybe I was wrong. You know what? When God has spoken to a brother or sister in the Lord through His Word, our words should do nothing but confirm how right it is to trust the Word of God. Amen. And so then, the fruit of her speech was it exalted the Savior and His Word. It exhorted then a fellow saint. You know what she's saying, "Mary, blessed you're blessed. You've done what you ought to do. God gave you a promise. You obviously believed Him. Now God's going to do what He said, and that will give another e there is edifying to a fellow saint. You know why I say that? Because as soon as Mary shuts, uh, Elizabeth shuts up. Guess what Mary does? She starts off. Doing the same thing Elizabeth was. Meaning now she knows, praise God, Then I've got some things I need to say. You know what? This ought to be the effect of one Christian and one believer on another believer. To say, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. God spoke to me. God's working in my life. This is what he gave me. You should never, I should never. Somebody comes and says, man, can I tell you what God gave me out of my Bible reading? Oh boy, here goes another spiritual saint, day. Well, aren't you the spiritual one today getting things out of your Bible reading? You ever seen Christians act like that? Act like being spiritual is some kind of a sin? Act like talking about the things of God is somehow uncool? That's what the world does. Let them have it. You and I ought to encourage each other when God speaks to us and gives us direction when all too often we play Joseph's brethren and say, well, here comes that dreamer. (laughs) You with me? Not Elizabeth. Spirit-filled speech gives clarity, consistency, and contrition. The fruit of that is it exalts the Savior. It, it lifts high the Lord and His Word. It exhorts the person who's trusting Him, encourages them to continue, and thereby strengthens them, which is where we get the word edify, in their faith in the Word of God. Tonight, I don't know about you. I don't want my speech to confuse somebody. I want my speech to make things abundantly clear. I don't want the lost person to walk away saying, well, they came to my door saying they were going to give me some good news, but I couldn't quite tell what they were saying. They said they could tell us how to be saved, but I'm more confused than I was when they showed up. At least they ought to leave knowing they have a decision to make. You either believe that God will save the person who trusts in Christ, or you'll be condemned if you don't. They ought to at least know the truth as we have opportunity to speak. And if we're talking to one another and we speak about the things of the Lord, we shouldn't discourage one another from trusting the words of the Bible, the Word of God. Our speech should encourage others to trust what God says, edifying each other, strengthening one another in doing the will of God in our lives. Mm -hmm.